Hello, everybody. Welcome to Tech Tree episode two. I'm joined as always by the effervescent Shaban. Say hello, Shaban. Hello, everyone. And we also have the very, very intense Partha. Hello, Partha. Hello, guys. On the last episode, we discussed a lot about smart homes, specifically, you know, the use of the smart speaker and how it's integrating with homes. We also talked a little bit about privacy. So today we're going to expand a little bit further into the smart home stuff. We're going to try and talk about, uh, you know, different use cases for smart homes in your houses and what you can do with it. We also want to touch on the ecosystems and platforms, things that you should consider, um, you know, when you're trying to invest in this. But as always, first we begin with the news. Yeah, during the last month, Dubai announced that they are expected to roll out some 20 blockchain services later this year, perhaps somewhere between now and 2020. So this is quite a big announcement, especially considering a lot of governments and a lot of, um, you know, companies are investing very, very heavily in blockchain services. So uh, perhaps maybe we can try and do a little bit in terms of introducing what blockchain really is and then how it could benefit the government. Okay, so so blockchain, uh, not to be confused with Bitcoin, because one depends on the other and not the other way around. Blockchain is basically uh, about bringing efficiency in data and financial transactions through using cryptography. It's basically secure communication based on the verification of all of the data that is passing through these uh, the cryptography communication platform. As a reward, people recreated the Bitcoin. Now, the source of this information, the, the source of blockchain was basically created by the dark web by uh, purely to undertake transactions that could not be traced. And till this date, you still cannot trace transactions that happen on a blockchain network. But the data is so secure because it creates blocks of data that are easily accessible by anybody at any point super quickly. In addition to Bitcoin, one of the reasons why blockchain is, is being looked at so heavily is because it's sort of looking at decentralization of information compared to the way it is today. So a lot of people relate or try to, um, you know, in terms of a metaphor, look at blockchain as some kind of a large distributed ledger right, of information, of where a block of data moves. The whole reason why people are investing so heavily in blockchain and why especially governments and and as well as companies are investing so heavily in this is because it's a different paradigm in terms of storing this information, right? It's spread all over the internet. There isn't one entity or one uh, one, one company or corporation or whatever that holds the hierarchy in terms of um, all of this information. And so I think that that's an important part here. The other thing that's really crucial about blockchain is that it's basically a peer-to-peer transaction so it's a transaction between two nodes on a network and that they could be anywhere but once a transaction is completed and verified it's permanent so there's no way that the transaction can be reversed or edited or changed once it's done and i think that is probably the biggest plus point of having a blockchain network is that once it's verified and done you can use that as a basis for future transactions and i think this is one of the reasons why uh, the smart dubai guys and the dubai blockchain council are actually in force doing uh, a lot of work towards 2020 and i think they're making a lot of a lot of headway into that i mean if you just look at the news you can see that there's just setting up uh, ledger projects in dubai customs dubai trade dubai land department the municipality, Deva, the DNRD, and these are all government services that depend heavily on uh, verified data. Talking about the integrity of the communication, I think is super important, right? So everybody's sort of looking at this. And this is why, in fact, a lot of governments are, are investing in, in blockchain as well, because it gives them a, a platform and a ready way to manage the integrity of all of this data and communication that's happening between the government and, and the end user, the resident, the citizen, whatever. And so it's really... Um, 
I, I actually it was it was super interesting. I came across uh, you know information about Estonia how they've built all of their government services now on blockchain, right? So everything is delivered to the users sitting at home uh, with integrity in, in a verifiable way, secure encrypted communication between you sitting at home and the government, and that so it also explains why um, why the Dubai government is looking at it, and 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 nearly every government today um, you know is trying to invest heavily in this technology to try and deliver better uh, e-governance as they call it, right? In, I've been uh, suspiciously quiet for a reason because I don't know much about blockchain. I mean, I do know what blockchain is, but I, I was like, okay, I'm going to wait for Partha and Chirac to like break blockchain down because I know it's not easy. I've been to seminars where people have tried to break blockchain technology down and I've seen them fail. I remember going for future accelerators, they had a launch party. And uh, at the after party, we were sitting down and at the bar and I ran into some of the people that were working on blockchain tech. He tried explaining it to me in the most simple terms possible from his perspective. And his perspective was one of, you know, the actual creator of the tech, the one who writes the code. And 15 minutes later, I was just like, nope, still, yeah, nothing. Don't, don't. I, I mean, of course, parts of it obviously did stick. I'm not stupid. The whole concept of it being decentralized. And yeah, that makes sense. You know, I, you kind of wonder why we didn't have decentralized databases. But then when you look at database architecture, you're like, okay, that's why it's not easy to do. Also, when you have a centralized database, the administrator of the database can obviously edit anything that he likes. And that can cause security issues. And we've seen that. And you also have breaches where massive databases tend to get leaked and user information is all over the place. You don't necessarily run that risk with blockchain. So all of that stuff made sense. But when people talk to me about how does it work, you know, you talk about data going into a block and then that adds to a chain and the further you go up the chain, the harder it is. I'm like, what? What? Get, get, you know, I'd love to see a diagram. But yeah, it's not easy. Uh, and uh, I think for those of us that, that find it hard to wrap our heads around it, it's uh, we have to do a lot of research. And I've been sitting while you guys have been talking, I'm like, Okay, I understand this part, and this part makes it seem like it's useful. But who created it? What what makes it tick? I mean, can either of you tell me what exactly? If you were to explain it to like a five year old, how would you explain it to a five year old uh, without getting technical? Yeah, I think uh, as I mentioned already, a lot of people use the example of sort of correlated to like a distributed ledger. I you have a book uh, where you write with pen and paper. Every time something happens, you make a log of it, right? And then, but you do it in a way where you can't go back and put white out and like rewrite something anymore because once it's in there, it's in there. It's and a copy of that is in like, X number of different places. And so, and not everything is under your control anymore. So when it comes to verifying any of the data, um, that verification comes from multiple sources. So when you say it comes from multiple sources, what exactly do you mean? What What is a multiple source? It's you and me. We've had a transaction. I want to reverse it. Or, or let's say Partha wants to, 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 I don't know, edit it or, 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 or hack it or something. Um, what exactly does that mean? I mean, what would he, what does, what would Partha have to do to, to mess with our transaction? He'd have to, so he'd have to, first had... break, okay, go ahead. But why don't Partha, you try to break it first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The question said Partha, uh, Partha will take the initiative and answer it. Yeah, the, the thing is that if I had to edit any portion of the blockchain uh, after it's been verified, I have to subsequently edit every block that's been posted after that within that chain and every copy of that node across everywhere. Why would you say that he has to make it happen all over the web? Why not just for the copy that's in front of the two the, 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 the two people? Because because the verification comes from multiple sources, right? So when you when you push something out onto the blockchain and and put that quote unquote ledger entry, uh, it it gets saved across the web. It's not just between you and me. So the logging of this stuff happens in a distributed manner. 
You know, people say things like it's unhackable because everything gets added to a chain and a person and the techie in me is going, well, yes, if you were trying to get to a data point that's deep down a barrel, then you have to go dig through the barrel first. That's kind of that's kind of the analogy that I'm getting out of this. The, that analogy is, is correct to a point. Like there's a barrel and you have to dig through all the all the layers to get to the bottom of the barrel, sure. But then there are multiple such barrels and you broke through one and then now you have to go and do the same thing like a hundred different times because the moment you do this and you modify something, you, you know how hashing works, right? Like uh, the hash just changes. Yeah, the hash right? changes. Exactly. So that, uh, look, hashing, I can get my he- head around. So that, yes, that that absolutely makes sense. What happens thereafter is that the moment something else changes now, you know, the verification is, is spread out across, let's say, five. Let's just take an example of five computers. But the f- other five have a different hash compared to this guy because someone's gone and modified it. And so automatically now the, the data is no longer verifiable and therefore it can't continue. So it's very hard to like, I mean, I'm using the example of five, but you can't, you know, to do that like across hundreds of thousands of, of computers where all this information is stored. And where does it run? Who, who, who writes the code for this blockchain? And why can't the people that are writing the code be messed with? Yeah, and... And to be honest, like I, I'm not the authority on this either, but um, the way it's, you know, think of it as like build a service on top of Gmail or something like that, right? Um, so it's, it's two components, right? You are someone that's building something on a platform that exists. So you don't get to change the platform. You don't get, I mean, as in someone who's writing something on top of this, you don't get to change or play with the platform. You are limited by what the platform can do. And therefore, when you're passing data out into the platform, you're you're saying, okay, this data, I want, it's done. I want to put it on the chain and we're done. And so, but that, that execution, I'm using the word API very loosely here, but it happens on the other side. An external person has no, no control over it. Internally as well, uh, one of the things that happens when you, when you start dealing with encryption and hashes and stuff like that, right? When you start writing records in this way and you start distributing it all over the place, um, even if you're someone that was sitting there and, and programming one aspect of the, of the technology, which is not, how it's happening, but roughly, you still can't go back and change something that has already happened, right? Because all of that stuff is timestamped, code stamped, encrypted hash in the chain. Right. So for, for these guys to actually change the actual tech, they would have to go and edit a line of code in every single office. And then that same, so let's say a program's written 200 lines of code. You would have to go uh, a module here and then another module in Singapore and another module. That's what you're saying. That's what they'll have to do. Yeah, and that, and you're and you're talking about the code, and you're talking about the code. I'm talking, and I'm also adding to that that the data itself. Now, here's the other thing about that is that the way the blocks are layered for each node for each user is different, so it's not identical. So if I'm doing one, two, three, four, five in one section, the hash somewhere else is going to be five, four, three, two, one. In the third place, it's going to be three, two, four, one, five. You don't know how it's going to be loaded. You don't know how it's going to be layered. So for him to actually dig how far down the barrel for each barrel forget about the effort that goes into it you have to actually sit and modify every single piece of information that's been layered on top of it and if it's been if it's been done in one place it has to be done everywhere and you don't know how what uh, how it's been layered in, in every location so what do you do? Yeah, and then again, then that's why the verification, I think the video said that too, right? The verification comes from multiple sources. So when you check the integrity of something, it's not that, oh, I checked this database and this database said yes, and therefore it's done. It's like, no, this database said yes, and five other databases confirmed that, yes, this is the exact information I've got to. So if blockchain was a cake and you, you wanted to change, let's say it's a honey cake, it's, it's got 16, 20, 100 layers, whatever. To get to one layer, every time you touch one layer uh, on, the, on the top to get to the next one, 
or the one in the middle, you change the flavor of the cake. Uh, and everybody knows because everyone's going to eat the cake and they'll be like, oh, this is not honey cake anymore. It's, it's chocolate cake. This doesn't taste the same. And it, no, rather, it would, it's, it's more like, let's say, for example, you did that. And then, then me and Partha are sitting there and we come and taste that very cake and say, hey, wait a minute, this doesn't taste like honey cake anymore. Right. And what I have tastes like honey cake what tastes like red velvet. And therefore, these things don't, don't match anymore. Right. And the recipe of the cake is, is, is... That's how we explain it to a five-year-old with that's cake. How you, that's how go. you do it, man. Five-year-old cake <laughs> explanation. There we go. One problem solved. All right. So moving back to our main topic, which is, uh, you know, sort of our second edition of, of the smart home stuff. Today, we're going to try and talk a little bit about, about the use cases and the importance and, and all of this. In the last episode, we talked a lot about, um, you know, the smart speaker. I, I just want to sort of do a differentiation here where, you know, the smart speaker, which is meant to be sort of... Um, you know, smart assistant in, in a tube or, or some relatively close uh, shape of that so that you can throw commands at it and it can do things, right? And of course, this goes a little bit beyond just smart homes, but this is one of the primary reasons why, uh, you know, people are heavily investing in it as well. I want to talk a little bit more about actually what you can control with this rather than just the fact that you have a smart speaker. We did kind of touch upon it, but then let's get a little bit more detail. There are a number of different applications that you could see for smart homes. I mean, you have environment where people are aware, companies like Nest, who just been reacquired by Google are doing stuff around uh, home automation to make your to save your electricity bills and to save your you know your cooling bill if you're using a chiller service then you also have security where you could actually set up a webcam um, that could do a lot more than just monitoring your house but you know there's a whole bunch of different stuff you could do there then but the most common that you're seeing in in terms of smart home are lights or general use so lights fans uh, general uh, comfort based solutions yeah and i think those are the easiest ones to jump into right like so if i have to just change into uh, as as was the case with me for example where I, I wanted to just try it out with lights so it's just i don't have to do much i can just you know screw in a light bulb and poof i'm ready to go so i think that's one of the reasons why but i think also it's it's the easiest use case that i guess someone that wants to get into smart home sees right away right um he wants to i don't know he wants to turn on his coffee maker in the morning and so it be nice to have a control like put in a switch that that he can control and set up to do that here's the other thing uh chirag uh is that you're seeing smart homes at different levels as well so there is uh obviously a, a a small product that kind of just plugs into your existing system or there's an entire ecosystem of smart devices that has to be implemented from the ground up you know so there are obviously different levels of how smart homes can be put into your house and that is something that is very important to kind of highlight yeah true and i think that's why i wanted to touch on the environment one in particular because i think that's where a lot of headway has been made already and i'll I'll tie that into environment and security kind of together we're talking about the cameras and, and stuff like that uh, but, you know, look at things like we have all these environment monitors now that can plug into one of the platforms that you might use and then using that to sort of trigger additional actions. Thermostat to either heat up or cool the house. Um, you can even control, for example, your blinds. So, you know, it's the middle of the day and it's too hot, you know, shut the blinds up. You you have even smart fans now. It's the devices, but then it's also the automation around it that sort of is bringing value. When should something happen? And then on what basis and then leave it automated. So when I leave the house and everybody after me leaves the house, and there's nobody in the house. Please make sure to turn off all the lights. Um, you know, or when I'm up, when I'm close to home uh, or I'm five minutes away from home, uh, do this or do that. Uh, when you detect motion in my house, um, you know, flag this. You know, I've been thinking of things that I would want automated that are not automated and none of those things. But look, I'm looking at this technology in, in, in where it is right now. I can't see it automating anything useful. When I wake up in the morning, I, I want... 
my cup of tea to be brought to my bed, that kind of thing. When I, when you talk to me about automation, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's just the sim- like for me, lights being automated or, or webcams being automated, which are useful. That level of automation doesn't really appeal to me. But the stuff that is useful requires some sort of physical interaction. I'm used to saying this, but if it causes uh, it affects me in a way where I, I have to put in less effort into something thanks to automation. Yes, but I can't think of an example of that. Okay, let me ask you a question. How comfortable are you with automating or having a smart toothbrush? Why would you want a smart toothbrush? To tell you how well you are brushing your teeth. Okay, why, why are we doing this? You know, if, if my toothbrush decided to comment on, on how well or not well I'm brushing my teeth, I'll flush the damn thing down the toilet. That'll be the end of that. You, you'd be flushing 1400 dirhams worth of tech down the toilet. So be it. Even better. If it was gifted to me, let's assume that it was gifted to me by, by a benevolent benefactor on Christmas, it would still be going down the toilet. It just, no, you don't, I'm sorry, my toothbrush does not get to tell me that. If that was your weird way of asking for Christmas, if you're not getting that from me for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think Partha, between now and, and, and December, if we can raise 700 bucks each, uh, I think we should just give it to him for the fuck of it now. <laughs> That's, that's gonna be the worst gift ever. Or, or the best gift ever. I mean, can you imagine? Like, we'll have content for like three episodes after that. It's brilliant. It's such a good investment. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Maybe the smart toothbrush can do the podcast on my behalf. How about that? If your toothbrush is that fucking <laughs> smart, then maybe yes. <laughs> Coming back to um, what I was gonna add to that was so where the integration and the automation bit of smart homes comes in is taking it a step beyond that, right? So you were talking about the example of the webcam and the webcam being able to do motion detection and therefore doing something with it. But now there is, uh, you know, the added layer on top of it, right? So uh, it can actually take more actions because it's integrated into um, a home platform and the home platform can do tons of things. Okay, so he, here's what I would like to see automated. If you want to talk smart, yeah, you know what? Uh, we we don't we have a black thumb. So if, when you get plants at home, oh, unfortunately, we will overwater them, underwater them. We don't know enough about soil nutrient levels. If someone can come up with a smart, you know, planter, and I know there are automated planters right now that use, you know, um, uh, hydroponic tech, but I'm talking about something that can actually monitor for for the home. We can monitor the soil contents. It's acidity, it's nutrient levels, water the plant, make sure everything's healthy, uh, maybe count your tomatoes and see what the yield is, blah, blah, blah. That makes sense. You know, that is the kind of automation that I would subscribe to. Um, and if if that were to tie into your smart home somehow and control the temperature for your plants, but that is extremely granular control. And obviously, the kind of tech that would go into something like that would, would be expensive. Hence, we come back to where we are with current things. Where it's simple enough where it automates things just enough where it's convenient, but not to the point where it starts making drastic changes in your life, unless you're living in a very connected city. Like I was looking at this article about how people have been using uh, in China have moved away from cash and all their payment systems are extremely automated and to the sense that nobody even carries cash uh, on them. They, they're just using apps. The people that are building these apps are giving them further incentive by basically giving you this one app that does everything from your house payments to your utility bill payments uh, to chatting, to video conferencing, to VOIP, to uh, even pointing you on, uh, to restaurants nearby and you can use... Um, uh, augmented reality overlays all within the same app, right? So that level of automation, if, you're already, if your city and, and your culture is already sort of headed there right now, 
It makes sense, you know, but we in Dubai, and, and this probably brings us to the next point of discussion is we don't have that kind of connectivity yet. We're getting there. I mean, Dubai has come a long way. This is a similar idea, but bringing you into the house, right? So, and I think this sort of ties into our, our next sort of section, which is the ecosystem bit. Uh, you know, when you're talking about, you know, an integrated home, right? An integrated smart home. So you always had, I mean, you could have a sort of a camera lying around the house. And then similarly, you had, for example, you always had environment monitors that could tell you what the status of the environment is in your house, in your, whatever, in your garden or whatever it could be. You have sprinkler systems that time and control and do all that fun stuff with. And now we're, we're reaching that point where we all of the stuff is coming together inside, uh, you know, one app or one platform and something. So you can start having different vendors start talking to each other because you can bring an environment monitor from A and then you can go and plug it into the platform. You can bring your thermostat from B, plug it into your platform, and then your environment monitor can start talking to it. It's exactly there, actually, to be honest. Uh, if you look at Alexa as an example, it doesn't come with a whole host of different different products but it does support a ton of different platforms um like you could literally have uh, three different brands of smart home tech like a, a different brand of smart lighting a security system that's on your door either to monitor people coming in or to lock and all of these will tie into alexa even though they're not from the same you know platform Okay, so I'm going to play devil's advocate here because one of the reasons why modern society works the way it is is everyone has agreed to a certain standard. And the issue with, with smart homes right now is there is zero standard. I'm sorry, but uh, Amazon with Alexa are trying to shove products down our throats with, with Alexa this and Alexa compatible that. And sure, the manufacturer is going to be like, yeah, you know what? Buy our product. It's also Alexa compatible. It talks to Alexa. Fantastic. Great. Uh, and Google are trying to do the same thing. But I don't want that. I want an, a standard, an to be set. So if I go out and buy a laptop from Sharp DG, I know that the plug that it comes with goes and go, goes into the wall in my house. And, and I want the same analogy to be applied to smart home. So whatever I pick up any electronic device, it's powered the same by the same type of, of, of shape of plug. I'm not locked into a men, vendor or two. And, and in this case, that's an issue. I think manufacturers like, like, you know, like Amazon and Google and, and anybody else who's getting into the smart home space they all need to sit, sit and figure out and agree on a standard that's good for us as consumers because that way we have d- devices that a Google device will talk to Alexa and vice versa. I see your point, Shaban, but I have to add here as well. Like At the moment, what's happening is you you've kind of have this consolidation in a way that's happening uh, behind essentially what, what I would say is like sort of three the, large, the, the three larger players in terms of who to integrate with. Uh, but then you also need all of these individual vendors. For example, your Philips or any other... Um, any, any other technology, whether it's lights, fans, uh, or environment, I mean, we've got Delgado and Eve and blah, 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 um, all also have to then build it in a way that they can integrate with these solutions. And so what you're starting to see now is a lot of products are coming out with at least support for two of these technologies. Uh, but with regards to your point, I think it's something that someone who's setting up a house has to make certain decisions up front, right? Because he has to have something, assuming he doesn't want a very distributed household to choose a platform uh, and go with it, right? Because then he has to then buy things that, that are built on top of that technology. While you're right that it would be nice not to be completely locked in and whatever, there's not going to be one player. And I guess we don't want that either. Right? You don't want only one smart home player. You want to have more than one. I've already seen um, a couple of things. I think Virgin had at least one product that was integrated with all three. So actually, you're seeing a lot more of these um, accessory makers, these small uh, smart home guys. I mean, I was reading the entire piece that we share. We had on the link. I think there's a link on the podcast about uh, smart home and AI that's dominating CES. All of these companies are creating solutions that will work across the platform. They kind of agree and accept that 
it's not just going to be a single platform because while I may be a, an Android user at, on my phone, I may not have the Google Home, uh, but I'd like to have the system talk to both solutions. And that is that is essentially where they're headed. Yeah, and I think the other thing, uh, although Google is a bit of an exception here, both uh, in the case of Apple's HomeKit or whatever, and in the case of Amazon as well, they're not smart home manufacturers. Like, they're not accessory makers. From, even from a business standpoint, um, it is in their interest to be as open as possible. All that said, I don't expect Google to suddenly close off their, their APIs tomorrow or something because they want everybody to buy Nest. I don't think that that's... What I would suggest to people wanting to invest in smart homes is to at least think about think about the platform. One of the things that I noticed, although this is true more for for conversations I've had in India rather than here, because I think it's something that is uh, quite widespread again, you know, uh, uh, there's a difference in the homeowner market, right? Here versus uh, versus say India or something else. A lot of these uh, integration players, right, who will come and give you a turnkey solution and say, "Hey, I will, you know, make your home smart, and I'll introduce all the smart technologies." And I think that there's a there's a bit of an issue here for me as well when I when I sort of look at that because I think it's important that you as a user, you as someone that wants to have your home smarter, think a little bit about the the platform what you're going to invest in. It may mean that you have to make a sort of a hard choice here or there as, as you mentioned like you have android phones uh, you know make sure that you're looking at how how integrated it is so i'm gonna ask you a question chirag this one actually this is to both chirag and to partha if you guys were to recommend a smart home platform knowing the ecosystem that you guys know and the number of devices and the type of support that's out there which platform would you recommend if you're going from scratch i think google's the best way to go but if you are kind of going to be picky about uh, okay, so I have an Apple device, or I have uh, I'm I'm kind of I don't want to support Google. Then obviously I'm left with not that many options. The key to find out is what portions of your life you want to automate. So is it going to be just a convenience factor? Why have you said Google? What devices does Google have that let's say Alexa or or the Apple offering? Knows? All right, so Google do not do convenience in the sense that they don't have these uh, plug-on uh, wired wireless solutions like you know you could plug in a device into your uh, electrical socket and all of a sudden that electrical socket is wireless google don't do that what they do have are uh, smart home solutions for your uh, to secure your house so they have the nest range of webcams and i think nest should really sponsor this uh, episode then they have uh, door lock and door security stuff which is uh, one of the newer products they have thermostats that kind of tie into the entire google home thing then you also have the ability to control all of these devices not only from the google home which is an awesome smart speaker just by itself and very very reliable in the region compared to all of the other solutions that are available out there but it also ties into your mobile phone. So if you have an Android phone, literally your system is complete. Uh, Google plays a very crucial role of building an ecosystem that kind of you rely on. For convenience, you have brands like Belkin, you have brands like uh, D-Link, you have, brand, you have a ton of Chinese brands that will give you these plug-and-play solutions that can tie into Alexa, that can tie into Google Home, that can also tie into HomeKit. So let me let me try to let me try to jump in quickly. Um, I think you know I don't I don't think that there's a straight answer to this. I think it's a case of it depends. To some extent, I I, I raise a sort of like an asterisk um, on the Google offering because you know Google's in this also playing in in the smart home space themselves, right? They've got by by acquisition granted, but they've got Nest, and so they're investing a lot into this. And so uh, I do worry slightly that that it could become a situation where you know they're focused on integrating and expanding Nest and tying it all into the Google platform, which today by the way has a great number of products. 
but it might make things tougher down the road. The Alexa caveat is, uh, you know, its accessibility here. Uh, so this is this is one thing. That doesn't mean that, you know, uh, and the, the Apple solution as well is is sort of building itself up. So it's, I think in about a year's time, or I would say maybe a year and a half's time, uh, you're going to see like a slew of, of HomeKit-based products, uh, including in this region. We're already starting to see some, but it's it's sort of, um, you know, on its way up. So I think there's a caveat in all three of them. As a personal thought, I'm already invested in the Apple ecosystem. And that's not just me, but it's also like my extended family is all in it as well. So it just makes sense for me to be like, okay, I want to be able to have as, you know, everybody be able to control it and stuff. So it just makes my life easy when I can actually grant them access directly on their phones and stuff like that. So it makes sense for me to look at HomeKit more seriously than I would personally look at others. But I I think the answer is a lot of it depends. My issue with Alexa is actually today, if you say as of today, uh, Alexa is probably the platform that has the most number of things plugging into it already. But then the problem with Alexa, and that, that, but that's a very theoretical statement because Alexa is not as freely available and, and, and offered here. To summarize, Partha recommends Google simply because A, if you have an Android phone, you have Google eco- ecosystem, sort of already the software side of things covered. And since smartphones are something very, very personal to us, um, it's, you can have sort of natural extension to that. Am I correct in assuming that? I think that they built, don't, they, don't they have an app for the iPhone, I mean, for iOS as well? Okay, you can use the Google Assistant on an iPhone or an iOS device to also control things, can't you? If you have a Google Home yes, in you house? Do. Yes, you can. No, no, and exactly. So I'm coming back to what you're saying, Chirag, is that you recommend Apple products, because that was my original question, is what would you recommend? And, and Partha has recommended Google, and you're recommending Apple. No, I, I said my answer to that is going to be it depends. Like for me personally, already invested in the Apple ecosystem. I'm happy with it. I like the platform. I'm, I'm, I'm going all out in it. But I think someone who is, you know, who has five family members, each one with Android phones, I would be like, yeah, just, just go with Google, right? Like th- there is a context to that conversation. Okay. And in terms of number of products, I guess from the products that Partha has already listed they're relatively in the same amount of different automation products that you can buy for your home i think this is where the trick is too right like um, although it is on on the manufacturers and individually like uh, for apple and google to try and promote their ecosystems which of course they should but you know this is also where the, there's a bit of a trick right these guys are providing the platform and so the platform is in region at least apple's is in region specific i don't think google is either uh, but the issue then starts to become like okay do we you know the manufacturer that's manufacturing this single bulb right or this bulb system that integrates with the solutions you want are they delivering to the region um there's you know there's a lot of distribution other like logistic issues that that get involved so you might have someone like a like a Philips who will deliver everywhere, but then you know, um, I've looked at a smart lock system, for example, um, uh, by this company in the U.S. and they only deliver the U.S. and Canada. Right? They don't have a distribution chain to to come here. August, August, yeah. And and they they do solid work. I mean, I've seen their locks and stuff. It's very very impressive. Even like Logitech and and uh, stuff have come out with uh, HomeKit supported webcams and stuff, right? So this stuff you can I think I've seen one of them here, um, and the other one should be shipping here soon. Uh, yeah, so, you know, I think, uh, and I, I want to stress this out again, I mean, we're, you know, a lot of this stuff is, is to me anyway, it's a case of it depends. And that's true with a lot of technologies. Um, I think both both Apple's HomeKit and Google Home are doing enough things in, in each of the individual spaces. Uh, Alexa, while a good integrated system does have some limitations, both in this region, there are some gen- generalizations we can make, but there are some specifications that also, you know, might help, uh, you know, a person in one direction or the other. I'm going to ask Shaban quickly, do you, is there anything you want to add? Oh, my conclusion is that I'm going to wait and watch and see where the smart home thing goes and um yeah that's that's it i'm still i'm gonna i'm gonna be waiting and watch more for a while let's let's just leave it at that okay uh partha coming to you uh what are your last thoughts while the options out there can seem pretty confusing it's important to make a really careful weighted decision as to 
how you want to see your life being improved and then pick the platform that ticks all the boxes and there is a solution out there that works for you. Yeah, and and as always, I mean, uh, one of the things that we want to try and do with this, um, you know, with Tech Tree in general, we'll, we'll, we will come back to things as and when there are improvements and announcements um, in these categories. But, you know, you're also welcome to reach out to us. Uh, Shaban, uh, if you can share with us your, your Twitter handle and how to reach you. My Twitter handle is at Airspective and you can tweet at me if you have any comments or if you share my views on smart homes and and if, even if you don't, I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, Partha, where can people reach you? I'm reachable on Twitter as Partha NS, P-A-R-T-H-A-N-S. Look me up on my website, which is parthans.com. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and I'm available on on uh, Twitter at Chirag, uh, ND, so you can reach out to us. Uh, TechTree is also on Twitter, so it's uh, at tech tree but with a three so it's t3chtre um so you can tweet at us as well and one of us will get back to you if you haven't already done so please subscribe uh, you can find us in any podcast player of your choice and we'll have the show notes up and a bunch of different links of other things we've talked about so thank you very much and goodbye goodbye all right goodbye you're the weakest link <laughs>